Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. Man, thank you, Bucky. Thanks, you guys. Happy Labor Day weekend. You shocked me and surprised me with how many bodies are up in here on a holiday weekend. I'm just going to come out and be honest with you. Extra points, not just with me because I don't matter, but with a big man upstairs. Obviously, you're getting some treasure locked in heaven. Way to go. Way to go. You're awesome. Fantastic. Bursting at the seams. Jeez Louise. Bucky alluded to this, but I want you to know right now, start thinking about it, because we're, we're going to have the mics, the open mic up here at the stage later. But if you have something to share from this series, uh, we're coming to week seven of Loveology, this powerful and candid, real, biblical-based series on love, dating, sexuality, marriage. If you have a great takeaway, something you learned, something God showed you, something you applied to your life, anything, big or small, We'd love to hear from you at the end of service. So uh, start to get those wheels going right now. And um, yeah, it's a safe place for conversations, guys. That's one of our values. And we want to prove that even on Sunday morning. As we wind down the series, I want to talk about ends. Not, not, just, not just the end of the series, but even the end of our time on earth. Pretty heavy, right? Last week, this, just this last week, I was at the DMV. Uh, naturally, that got me thinking about the end times. And uh, seriously, uh, I thought I had the perfect plan for going in there and getting my work done for my license renewal. Here's the first thing that happened. First thing that happened, I get there at 8.45 because I believe on this day it opens at 9, when in fact it opened at 7. So I'm not early at all. Okay, they've been open for hours. Second thing that happens, great news. It's a very low traffic hour. There's still very few people there. I get right in. I'm already at the computer registering for my license renewal. And I sit down. And I'm just waiting for my number, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I look up at the screen, and I realize, gosh, um, the numbers are in ascending order far beyond my number. But maybe it's random. I don't know how they work here. You know, it could be just a random sorter. Finally, I walk up to the person, and I ask, hey, are these in chronological order? And she says, yes, yeah, they definitely are. I've missed my number. I've missed my number. I sat down. I could have been in there so fast, in and out, in minutes, and yet I missed my number. I missed the call. I was so dejected, and I'm going to come back to that in a minute, but as I was thinking about missing the signs, you know, you hear that phrase, just like the writing is on the wall, which is a biblical idea, by the way. One of my next thoughts was this passage from Romans 1, a famous verse, a classic verse to those who are um, exploring faith, new to faith. It's a, it's a premise of what we believe. Paul says, since what may be known about God is plain to them, all people, he's saying all people should know from the natural world. They look around every day. They should know God has made it plain to them. He is real. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. He's saying you shouldn't miss it. Don't miss it. It's everywhere all around you. My revealed power, my wonder, the, the mystery of me, God, in this created order every single day, the writing is on the wall. Don't miss it. As we wind down this series, Loveology, 
I think that's the word for us today as well, is not to miss the real point behind intimacy, behind singleness, behind dating, behind raising our kids with a proper view on sexuality, behind the the mega question of LGBTQ, marriage, parenting, intimacy, dating, all of these things to not miss the big point behind it. And I think that point, you guys, is that this world, this life, even the loves of this life are training grounds for eternity. We have to keep the end in mind. As beautiful and wonderful as dating and marriage And yes, maybe even sometimes singleness is, it's a means to an end. It's the training grounds for what God wants to do in the most complete and perfect way in heaven. And it leads me to the big idea for this morning, which is this. As we think about all these topics and we apply them to our lives, we need to love and live like it makes an eternal difference. We cannot take our eyes off of that focus. So I want to talk about the end. And you think that the end is really just the one book in the Bible. You know, the Bible's one book, 66 books, and the last one being Revelation. We think, man, end times, he's just going to live in that book alone. Actually, it's cover to cover throughout the Bible. We have great things to depend on when it comes to the end of all things and, and when Jesus comes again. I think we get kind of sleepy on that reality, and, and I'm going to come back to that in a second. But I think one of the biggest reasons that we don't want to talk about or think about the end is because we are just so hyper-focused on the present, on the here and now. You know, this dizzying ecstasy of feelings and entertainment and sentiments and, and pleasure. You know, we think it's a live or die issue if we don't get married. We think it's a life or death issue if our sex life is not just hot, just like on fire today. We think it's a life or death issue if our kids don't have perfect relationships and never have another conflict. Don't get me wrong, God cares intensely about how we make these relationships mirror and reflect heaven. We talked about that. Go back weeks ago and listen to the the message on marriage. Our marriages, as a means to an end themselves, should reflect heaven and the way that we sacrificially serve one another. That's how marriages reflect heaven. And so, of course, all that we do on this earth is important and vital for pointing to our our eternity, but I think we have to remember that this life, this life is next to last. It's not the end-all, be-all. It is next or second to last. In fact, that is exactly what Paul says in Philippians 3. It says, but we are citizens of heaven. We have dual citizenship where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. Is anyone stoked on that? Anyone? No? Only one or two of you are in pain. Chronic pain? Okay, that's all right. God bless you. You're in for a good surprise. He will take those weak bodies and turn them into glorious bodies using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. You see, Revelation, this mentality, this worldview that looks to Christ's second coming and, and, and when heaven and earth come together in this crazy, wild, I know, it's a wild thing. But it's not just one book of the Bible. Jesus talked about this all the time. He talked about judgment. He talked about the end. He says in Matthew 24, no one knows the hour or the day. He says, keep watch and be ready. We know that was a key topic for Jesus. And it was obviously a key topic for Paul. I love what, what Patrick read earlier in the verse that I just put up here. Paul had this tenacious Interest and passion and focus. He was laser focused on the life yet to come because that one's going to last forever. Even though this one feels like eternity right now, it's a blink. It's a blink 
with regards to eternity. So Jesus, Paul, the disciples, the apostles, they, they knew this. They knew that this life here on earth was, was what the biblical highfalutin scholars and, and, and biblical researchers call penultimate. Penultimate. Say penultimate. You guys can say it. It's not that convoluted. Penultimate. 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 You know what this fancy word means? It just means second to last. Second to last. Second to best. And we have to wrestle with this idea, you guys, of anticipating heaven and our relationships and our great loves on earth. We have to have a worldview of dual citizenship, just like Paul suggests in Philippians 3 as he talks to new, brand new baby believers. He says, do not be confused. Do not get it twisted. This life is but a blink compared to eternity. And guys, I think just to make it real for us, for me and you today, um, I know that most of us in the room are, are, you know, been believers for a long time. And uh, if that's you, I resonate because I have a challenge in this area. Uh, whether you're new to church or you've been here a long time, the, the fact is the same. We get so inundated with life on earth that we do think it's the end all be all. But I think we have a couple mistakes before we get to the right equation. We're either all heaven, option A, we're all heaven, we're no heaven, option B, or we're the perfect mix of dual citizenship, heaven and earth. You see, because um, if we choose option A, all heaven, this leads us into complete and total irrelevance. We're irrelevant. If you came to someone and you, find, you turn into that person who's just waving a poster on a curbside that heaven is now and it's all doom and gloom and churn or burn, you're irrelevant, right? Not only are you irrelevant, you're like bringing on the shame and scorn of an entire church brand because no one wants to hang out and do life with that person. It's sad and pathetic and scary. But if that's our mentality, it's all heaven all the time and right now and he's coming tomorrow, it, it freaks people out. It just freaks people out and it pushes us into irrelevance. The second option, which I think is most of us in the room, sorry, I'm putting you on the hook, but I will go first. The second option, no heaven, leads us into total idolatry. Idolatry, again, big highfalutin Bible word that just means something else has the throne besides Jesus. That's all it means. It means that in our time, in our investments, in our perspectives, we have fixed our lives and our hearts on something over and above Jesus in the throne seat. And that won't play. That won't work, will it? And I don't think that we have any exception. Christians in the room, I don't think we have any exception. We have fallen prey to this no heaven sort of lifestyle, even if we would never confess that at church on Sunday morning. We've lived it and practiced it, and that is no good either. Finally, and according to Paul, I think we have this heaven and earth mix that leads us to an eternal difference. We are fully rooted and planted here because God called you into the earth to do something. He commissioned and called you to be here and to love well and to build relationships that reflect him. And yet you also anticipate with such passion and energy and focus that heaven is coming and we don't know the day or the hour. You see, this challenge of not knowing which to live in, I think is easily settled actually. Because once you fix your eyes and your heart on heaven and Jesus' return to reconcile all things to himself, it creates this urgency, doesn't it? Doesn't it create this expectation like, man, inevitably, I want to leverage every single moment of my life like Jesus is coming back tomorrow. Doesn't that get you pumped? Thank you, Val. That gets you psyched that I only have this one day to build into these lives, 
and to reflect the awesomeness of Jesus and the biblical definition of love. So what better way to end this series on love than with a picture of a wedding feast? We're going to look at the book of Revelation. You can turn there now with me if you like. We're going to be in chapter 19, but there's no need to get freaked out about the book of Revelation. I just want to tell you right from the get. The book of Revelation is definitely a book of warning, but it's a book of hope. It's a book of tremendous hope, and you just must know that. The book of Revelation was most likely penned by uh, the Apostle John. He was under intense persecution towards the end of the first century, about the 90s AD, after the time of Jesus. And he gets this vision, this supernatural vision. God kind of comes upon him and through this angel, dictates these amazing pictures and sights. And we're okay with the supernatural, right? If you believe in Jesus, you're okay with the supernatural. You believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. That was a miraculous wonder. It was also a factual act of history. No? Anyone? Yes, yes, yes. History. Way to go. We're moving right along. Revelation, I'll just pick it apart in chewable pieces for you. Basically, you can, you can break it down into four pieces. You have the seven churches. This is John and his actual real-life modern-day audience writing from an island of exile. It's how gnarly a time of, of uh, persecution it was. Christians were being killed, stoned, imprisoned left and right. And John gets exiled to an island off of modern-day Greece. And you're writing this letter with, a, with, with seven churches in mind, actually. So the first, chapter one, section one, seven churches. Section two, act two, seven symbols. There's all this great and wonderful symbolism. One of the symbols we're going to talk about today is the lamb. This is a word assigned to Jesus. It's an important symbol. It's a pretty big deal that Jesus' blood was slain as the only perfect and spotless lamb for our sins. And it's a type that points all the way back to the Old Testament. There's symbols, seven symbols. The third act is the second coming when Jesus will come again and he'll do battle on our behalf. Awesome news. And then finally, new heaven and new earth. New heaven and new earth. That's act four. I'm not going to go through all these. Don't get uneasy. All right? We're just going to touch on the second to last one, the second coming, because that's when we find our wedding feast. We're talking about living and loving like it makes an eternal difference. This wedding feast, this picture that John gets of the wedding feast and the lamb has everything we need to know about practicing a biblical ethic of love here and now. And yes, in anticipation for the life yet to come. All right. So this is from chapter 19, verse 6. And I'm going to click forward so you can read it too. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready, i.e. the church, the faithful, those who have said yes to Jesus. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear, for fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Wow. I just read to you guys like a a picture of heaven, like a picture of Jesus coming in and entering and being with us. And what kind of setting did Jesus use but a wedding celebration? As I said, Jesus here is pictured as the type of a lamb, and the church, of course, is the bride. Later on, a couple chapters down the road, we have the the groom, 
which of course is Jesus, the bridegroom, and the church being the bride. There's this wedding feast. I want you to think about for a second, what is it you love about weddings? Even if you're not married, come on, you can't be totally depressed when you roll up on a wedding. You roll up on a wedding and it's just got that feeling that moment that I'm thinking about this morning is when you're sitting in the aisles, you know, somehow there like hasn't even been necessarily a wedding planner or someone who's like the regulator making sure you sit down at the right time. They're not pressuring you or forcing you to sit down. You just kind of know. You're like looking around like, I don't want to be the guy who comes in the entryway when the bride's about to come through the entryway because I will be in shame for my life. But you just know you're sitting there. You know what I mean? You know that like feeling that's in the air and everyone's in their place. And then they're playing the song for the bridal party to start coming through, and you're just filled with anticipation. You're just filled with the, the purity and, and the wow of the moment, the anticipation, the exaltation, quite frankly. The bride might as well be Jesus in that moment. You have the bride and the groom, and they're presented, oh, they're presented so handsomely, you know? just dressed to impress, just, just perfection. It's like this, this white and whatever the dude's wearing, no one knows, no one cares. It's like this, this, this picture of near perfection. And yet we have this picture here that's so weird. There's a stunning difference. I have the bride, again, her outfit, the church, the faithful, even her outfit is described. Fine linen, glowing, shining, shimmering. And then we got the lamb? The lamb is the key groom figure? And there's a picture, you guys, in knowing that Jesus chooses to describe his own self at the end of all things as a lamb that should be uh, instructive for every single one of us this morning and as we move forward from this series in our lives. I'm going to borrow from the famous 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon. You can find his sermons online. It's a beautiful gift. He's a prolific sermon writer. And he writes explaining why lamb. Why would the lamb be so important? I mentioned before it's a symbol, it's a type, it's a very important one. But it points to, to Jesus' uh, humble worthiness of going to the cross, bleeding out and dying for every single one of us in the room. And he, and he asked that question, why? This is Spurgeon now, why? At the end all, be all of everything, not the penultimate, the ultimate in glory and power and wonder and awe. Why does Jesus choose lamb to describe himself? It's a little old English here, so bear with me, but here's what he says. He says, because Christ anywhere, even in his highest glory, still wishes to regard him as the sacrifice for sin. Whoa. He desires to be viewed by us in his character as the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. That was his plan, even before we were born, even before the first man was born, it was his plan. This is a character which he never lays aside, and it is as the lamb that he will manifest himself in the consummation of all things when his church is perfected. Wow. He's doing a very intentional thing here. He goes on. Brothers and sisters, I think that it is very appropriate for Christ to appear in glory as a lamb because it is as the lamb that he has most fully displayed his What? Most fully displayed his what? Love. love to his church. Is it Loveology? Is this series called Loveology? It, okay, it is. Yes, I'll just answer for you. Okay, we're doing fine. His love to his church to which he is espoused and to which he is to be what? Married at the last great day. Beloved, the marriage supper is a feast of love. Their love is at home in the Lamb. 
So Jesus, that he may reveal himself in his love, best of all, appears as a bleeding sacrifice on the day of his love's triumph. Is that incredible? Sacrificial service. Sacrificial service. That's how we emulate. That's how we reflect the sun here and now. The sacrificial service. The lamb is this picture, even at the very end of glory and awe and wonder, he's pictured as the sacrificial serving lamb who gave up his life. You guys, whether you're single, whether you're dating, whether you're married, whether you're about to get married, whatever the case may be, that is the end all be all for you and for me. Is this picture. How do you live in love like it makes an eternal difference? Sacrificial service is the secret answer. It's the key word. It's the big idea. He could have used any other name. He could have used any other name. There was a name they say Jesus was fond of using for himself, son of man. The son of man will come, he will die, and he will be raised again. He could have said Messiah, Lord, anointed. But he chose lamb. As we wind down in a few minutes, and then we do open mic time, I want to ask us that question. What is our response? How does this affect our love relationships here and now. First, I want to go back to that day at the DMV. So I'm at the DMV, and uh, I go back to the lady. I get a new number, because my number has expired, obviously. My hopes are dashed. If I only would have been listening, I was, where was I? But on my phone, distracted, consumed. I couldn't even look up and care enough to get in and out of the DMV when God gave me the first chance. And so I go back to the lady. She gives me a number. I sit back down. She says, no worries. There's just 10 people ahead of you. And I'm thinking, all right. 10 doesn't sound too bad. We're going to be okay. 45 minutes later, I'm called back to take my picture. And 30 minutes after that, I was gone. But I was sitting there kicking myself, sitting there with all the mass of humanity And what did I pray in that moment? Suffering at the DMV. Oh, Lord, save us. Lord, come quickly. Man, you guys, looking back, I think to myself, is that all you got, Ben? Is that all you got? You ready to roll over and die at the DMV? (laughs) It's laughable, right? And I think you guys are laughing because you can relate. We've been there. But guys, I think that when we go to this picture of the Lamb, when we have this entire study of what does the Bible say about love, we have to bear in mind this letter of revelation that was written to this modern-day audience, they were getting killed off by the dozens. Oh, they feared for their lives. Most of you have probably heard this before. The apostles, how did they die? They were stoned. They were stabbed. They were set on fire. They were crucified. They were beheaded. Oh, they died these brutal deaths. And I'm ready to roll over because of the DMV. What is the call to live this ethic of love today? I repeat, do we have the same hunger and thirst? Christ, come now. Is it because of my suffering, quote unquote? Or is it because of the real ills and plagues and trappings of this world that leave you bonded and lead those you love in a bonded life? that is no good, that is full of pain and suffering, those who are outside these church walls in pain and suffering, do we pray for their sake? Send me quickly to those who are lost and hurting and broken, and you come quickly to redeem and restore all things to yourself. Do we have the proper orientation and need and compulsion for that hungry prayer of salvation and restoration for all? 
not just the minor inconveniences of life. I'm going to go back to Spurgeon and wind down with these four questions because they're so good. They're just so good for our times. At least I'm citing my references. Okay, before you blame me, a lot of pastors won't do that. First one, if you want to know if your love is in check, if you want to know if your sacrificial service, your, 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 your heart of humble service is in check, this is what he says. He says, have you accepted him? It's question number one. Have you accepted him? A lot of us in the room are thinking, yeah, duh, Ben. Like, I've been doing this church thing for a minute. But have we, though? Have we lost ourselves in the routine, as Patrick said, of treating Jesus as just the most excellent teacher of all time, maybe a wonderful prophet who had powerful words to say, or as Spurgeon would have said, an exemplar, just a man of great character and upstanding? Are you trusting him? Will you have him? Does your heart say yes? Does your heart say yes? Have you accepted Jesus with this type of love? And that's number two. Do you love him? Do we love him? Do we love him enough to die for him? To lay down our lives every single day? No, we don't live in the same times as the first century. We don't. But does that make it any less Significant when we lay down our lives for our spouses, when we lay down our lives for our kids, when we lay down our lives for our friends. Christ seems to say that when we do that, the whole world will know what our brand is. The whole world will know who we follow, that we are little Christs, that we are Christians in the way that we love one another. Could we serve one another? Could we serve the church? Will we lay our lives down to serve the church and make her beautiful, make her so beautiful? ready and prepared for the last day. Number one, have you accepted him? Number two, do you love him? Number three, have you been made ready? Paul talks a lot about that, putting on righteousness. Another highfalutin word for it is sanctification. It means just being conformed to the likeness of Jesus, becoming more and more like Jesus. And once again, if you're in the room and you're thinking, of course, Ben, I've said yes to Jesus, I get that. You know, I'll just be the first one to admit, I forget, yes, that, that it counts for sure when I give my heart to Jesus once and for all. But sometimes as a career Christian, I forget that I need to hand my heart over to him again and again and again and again as he wishes to take more territory. He wishes to take more real estate in the ownership of my heart. Have we made ourselves ready Spurgeon would ask us. Have we accepted him? Do we love him? Have we made ourselves ready? Finally, number four, this is the challenge. This is the one that haunts me the most. Do we actually desire to meet him? Do we desire to be at that seat? Not just to earn a seat. That's done. That's finished. The cross settled that. When you say yes to Jesus, you have right standing with him. When you believe with your mouth, you have right standing. But do we desire to sit in those seats at the wedding feast you guys, we are tempted to believe that being over busy and over distracted and over fast in this fast lane of Orange County and beyond, we're tempted to believe that that's just kind of a soft science, that maybe, maybe perhaps God puts that on, you know, number 10 of the spiritual disciplines, that we might actually stop. There I am sitting in the DMV and I miss the number because my head is down in my phone. I can't keep my head up. I can't look to see what God conversations God might have for me. I can't look to see who God might want me to love on, who God want, might want me to bless. 
as I'm speaking to the church this morning, you guys, we cannot afford to be this distracted generation that is so unfocused and so consumed by the distractions and the addictions of this world. Yes, even our phones. We have to keep our head up. And that will be a conduit to being ready. It'll show just how much we desire to be with him once again. Should we pray? Should I pray that prayer at the DMV? God, come quick. God, restore and redeem all things. Yeah, that's not weird. That's not weird. We could practice that. We could build that into our lives. You who are in the room today, we could build that into our lives to invite Jesus. We, we anticipate your coming. How do I know? Look at Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 7 and Revelation 22. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who's thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. If 1 Corinthians 7, what I'm going to read next, doesn't frame this entire series and this whole message of remember, this life is a means to an end. It is a reflection, and it is training ground for the end. I don't know what does. This is what Paul says. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they What? should live as if they do not, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Are we listening to this word today, church? What are the things in our life today that have grown to owning us? It's all God's stuff, even our time. It's all God's stuff. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. Wow. That's the message. I probably just could have started right there. It just left you with that one verse. That's the message. That's the point of sacrificial service. That's the point of the lamb. That's the point of living and loving like it makes an eternal difference. Paul gives this, by the way, in a chapter. Go back to this chapter. He gets some of the most tactical, some of the most prescriptive we ever see, Paul, talking about dating, singleness, marriage, sexuality, all of these things. And he urges the people of Corinth, do not lose sight. His return and the restoration of all things is imminent. He said, your faith, if your faith is in his first coming and your hope is in his second, then run. That was Spurgeon, not me, who said that. If your faith is in his first coming and your hope is in his second coming, then we ought to run to that day. And what does running look like but earnest and intentional and sacrificial love? Day after day, when God gives us another morning, when we wake up tomorrow Monday morning on a holiday morning, is that the day that the Lord has made? Am I sent and commissioned into that day to show the world sacrificial service and what love really looks like? We ought to run, church. That's the word for us this morning. I want to hear from you this morning. I would love to know if there are any takeaways. There's wonderful stories. I could tell some stories, but I would prefer to cut the string and listen to you all. So if you have something to say, uh, it's a little bit of a stretch. Patrick and Bucky are going to come up here, and they're going to have these mics to my right and to my left. And um, it's safe, okay? It doesn't have to be a prepared speech. You don't have to be as polished as me. Thank you so much. I know. I get it. No polish. Just be real. It's powerful. No matter what you share, big or small, it's powerful for the people who are listening. And as the band comes up and they just give you a little mood music, it's going to be perfect. And you just come and share, what did God show you through this series? What were some of the breakthroughs, big or small, that God used in this series on on love, dating, singleness, marriage, sex? And um, be real. We're a family here. Be real. Share whatever it was that it was a takeaway for you. 
And maybe it's just what God's showing you in this season in general. We'll take that too. I'd love to hear that too. Just to show uh, everyone how God is moving in your life. So um, we're going to ask if you'd come up. Just come, just march right up here. No big deal. You just march right up to Bucky or Patrick. And you take a minute or two and, um, and just share what God's doing in your life. We'd love to hear from you. And I'll wait and hydrate. It's no big deal. Marched. You just keep coming too, by the way. Just head to the front. Well, good morning. I'm Jeff Shepard. Uh, I've loved this series. And uh, first of all, I encourage everybody, if you're not subscribed, do so to the podcast. Yes. <laughs> Shameless plug. Get him, Jeff. Go. I have, uh, I've had the privilege now of, I missed a couple of these from some family vacations and a men's retreat I was on. Um, boy, when your heart's beating fast, you got something to say. Um, I was able to go back and listen to them, and I've been doing a bunch of running, trying to get ready for a half marathon. And I've had a chance to listen to them not just once, but two and three times. And even if you're here listening, you're going to miss some stuff. And you go back and listen again, and boy, you get more and more takeaway. And it's been awesome. And the Conversations podcast, that is then a bunch of people sitting around talking about what the message was, what rich additional content that it's had. And I've loved those conversations, and I look forward to being part of one of them in the future. But there's been some really practical takeaways, some things I, I won't specifically share, but things that have um, and will enhance my wife Diane's and my relationship that we are putting into practice from things that, uh, in particular, Bucky gave in one of his messages. But I love the fact that this church has the courage and the authenticity to talk about sex and to talk about how healthy it is and as part of God's plan, talk about surrender, to talk about sacrifice. That's what true love is. And the fact that as we become less and God becomes more, and you invite God into the middle of each of your relationships when it's in the right point, in the right season, and that even being single, you can be perfectly fulfilled sexually and relationally, waiting and getting ready for what God can bless you. And then when you are married, in every relationship you have, you invite God into that relationship, into the bedroom. That is part of the strand of three cords that is not easily broken. So thank you for the courage, the authenticity, and the humility to talk about these things. It has had a profound impact. Thanks, Jeff. Give it up for Jeff, guys. Yeah. That'll preach. Thanks, Jeff. A couple more. Don't be scared. Just march right up here. I want to hear from you. It could be anything. leader here at Watermark, and uh, a really practical thing that I have learned from this series is I think it's really just like enhanced uh, and deepened my understanding of marriage and what marriage is um, in, in a higher way, I think, than I was thinking about it before. Um, it's just like clarified things in my mind, and uh, I, I think just been been a real benefit to me um, and in my relationship right now. 
Uh, so yeah. Thanks, man. That's good, man. Yeah, give it up. We got time, y'all. One or two more. Come on up, Lee. You can get right here in the line. Stand with us. Hi, uh, my name's Dan, and um, so um, kids are all back to school, and at our last family dinner, um, you know, I always pray how we'll have God conversations around the dinner table, and uh, my son started talking about how at his work at school, like, somebody says, like, oh, I'm a, you know, I go by him or he and his. I don't know if you guys know what that's all about but mm -hmm. so it, it prompted the uh, uh, LBGQ conversation where I think Ben did a great job that one Sunday and um, my daughter her one of her best friends is uh, a lesbian and um, so we just talked about how you know we, we love on her and you know we show Jesus to her yeah. as a family like she's been to our, she's in East Coast. She's been to our house like five times. <laughs> mm. um, my, my daughter doesn't even go to that school anymore. Um, but anyway, what 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 struck me, or what like a big learning from that weekend was uh, what what Ben coined as like being a false peacekeeper. And we talked about that around the dinner table, not just you know, hey, you know, we love you, we you know agree with your lifestyle, but basically, you know, there's the truth. But, you know, we just still love you anyway. And I mm. think that's going to go a long way. And I really, yeah, like Jeff said, check out that podcast on that Sunday because it's, uh, it's a great message from Ben. Thanks, Dan. Praise God. That's awesome. <laughs> Lee, take a, take a minute or two and share with us, and then we'll worship. Okay. Uh, my name's Lee. Um, I don't know anyone here. You don't know me. I'm beginning to, uh, to know Ben and his family, Bucky, Joe, I'll pick a few names, but very nervous. I don't talk, uh, talk much in front of crowds. I don't know how this guy stands up on stage and does it. I, it's amazing to me, but I listen to him and I take in everything he says and I need to. We've all had hard times in our lives. I've had a very hard life. I'm very happy once. I used to go to church all the time. I was even in the choir with my high-pitched voice, but not anymore. Oh my God, you don't want to hear me sing. Not now. <laughs> I met a beautiful woman, and we were together for 13 years, married. We were going to have children, in fact, we almost did. But unfortunately, our twins, they died. I lost her, I lost my children, I lost my faith. I lost everything. Years and years go by and I still couldn't believe anymore. But I kept going, you can't give up in life. Things happen for a reason, and they happen, good or bad. 
But I kept pushing on. I kept believing that one day, one day I'll be happy again. And whether you believe me or not, and I don't lie, I had a crazy, crazy dream one night. Woke up in a massive sweat. God come to me. He comes to us all. He comes to me that night. And he promised me that my life would get better and I would have children. I would be happy. Very true. It happened. I met somebody and we had the most gorgeous and beautiful little girl. I mean, she is, she's something else. But I needed help. as we all do. And this man up on stage, he come, he come to me in my dreams without me even knowing. And him and his family, they helped. They raised my little girl to the most, I can't describe. What they do for, what they do for her and their own children and family and friends People they don't know, it's just, it's amazing. I can never thank, I can't thank him enough. I can't thank his family or anybody enough. My little girl is their little girl. They are the father and mother, family of, of Sailor. And I just wanted to come up here and, and tell you that I'm believing. I'm really believing, I'm really getting my faith back. But it takes time. And Ben invites me down here. I believe himself that he, he knows I need help. He knows that, uh, that God is there for me. And I'm believing what he tells me and well, he trusts in me, I hope. So my name is Lee. Hopefully, uh, I'll get to see you guys here more. And uh, don't be a stranger. I sit at the back there. I, 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 because uh, I don't know any names. I keep forgetting. It's so many people here. But uh, thank you, Lee. I want to make friends with you all guys, and hopefully, I'll get to see you all again. And always come up to me and say hi. Thanks, Lee. That's beautiful. Oh gosh, I don't know, it feels like an explanation is needed or something. That's Lee, the wonderful man. Uh, he's the birth father of Riley and my, uh, what is that, number five, number four, number four baby, Sela, Sela Drew. And uh, you just gotta understand this really simply and really clearly. A lot of people see our lives and they see how many kids we have and that we've adopted and they, they're tempted to make us the saints and the ones that get the glory. And I'm here to make the record completely clear and set true. Okay, it is because Christ first loved me that I would offer love for others in my home. It's because of the gracious gifts of my parents and my grandparents who allow Riley and I to take care of babies in our home, biological and adopted. It's because of Christ's love that his sweet, beautiful, amazing biological daughter, Selah, is in our home being loved on because of generations of faith of what Jesus did. 
And because of what Jesus continues to do through his sacrificial love, he is the giver of love. And we've been a recipient and all we've meant to do is try and reflect that. And so we're so thankful. Thank you, Lee, for sharing that. Thank you all for what you shared this morning. They're all powerful, powerful examples of how God's working in your life. We're gonna sing this song and there's communion stations at the front corners of the room and the back corners of the room. Uh, it's kind of an organic tradition at Watermark where we'll circle up with those near us and we'll take communion together. So I always say, if you're in that circle, be open to someone next to you who's maybe looking for a home for a minute. And um, if you are that person, look, and someone would love to welcome you into communion time. Communion is a beautiful reminder of that love that I just talked about, where Christ poured himself out, his body and his blood for you, for me, regardless of where we're at regardless of our idolatry, our sin, our perfection, our imperfection, regardless, he died for us while we were still sinners, Paul said. And so in this time, we get to remember that and receive that forgiveness, that grace. And then we get to go and reflect that forgiveness and that grace to the world. And I just wanna say this, if that part of the message about accepting him is original to you, is new to you, if you have not said yes to God, in your heart with all that you are. If you not put your trust in him, what I wanna urge you to do is after communion and after the song concludes, come forward and, and receive prayer. There's gonna be people right here that are trained volunteers. They're perfectly safe, normal people and they would love to pray with you this prayer of acceptance. Don't miss the opportunity this morning. Let me pray and we'll worship and take communion. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you, God, you're good. You are so good. It never ceases to amaze me, Lord, that of all the names you could refer to yourself, you chose lamb, suffering servant, giver of life. I pray that every single body in this room would feel that right now as they come to take communion. And whatever you're working in our relationships and our love, work it to completion, work it all the way through, Lord, to healing and mercy and grace and peace. Whatever it is, Lord, let people bring that right now to communion and heal them, meet them where they are and give them great, great grace. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.